0: And dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? And now, the special presentation.
1: Hey, everybody, this is the Skewered Universe Podcast. My name is Jeff, and the following is part one of a three part special we are doing on 1978's Dawn of the Dead, directed by George A. Romero. I'm joined by my friend Patrick French as we go over the movie kind of go over the location, somewhat of a different take on the breakdown of the movie. Three parts, as I said, and we're doing this in honor of George Romero's birthday, which is on February 4th, so all throughout February we'll be releasing these three episodes, and you can listen along, watch the movie, and have a lot of fun. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we had fun recording it, and stick around for parts two and three coming up real soon in February.
0: In 1968, George Romero brought us Night of the Living Dead. It became the classic horror film of its time.
2: Not that room! Not that room!
0: Now... George Romero brings us the most intensely shocking motion picture experience for all times. It gets up and kills. The people it kills get up and kill. This situation must be controlled before it's too late. They are multiplying too rapidly. Dawn of the dead. Meet me on the roof at nine o'clock. Get out. I don't believe it. We're gonna get out in the chopper. We've got to survive. Somebody's got to survive. They kill for one reason. They kill for food. They eat their victims. Imagine, if you will, that something has gone terribly wrong. Should now accept the fact that there's no escaping the horrible consequences. George Romero brings back the dead. Night of the living dead has ended. Dawn of the dead is here. <coughs>
3: We must not be lulled by the concept that these are our family members or our friends. They are not. They will not respond to such emotions.
0: Operated dead, post abandoned. You may never get out of the room. It's everywhere. What the hell is it? Looks like a shopping center. One of those big indoor malls.
2: What are they doing? Why do they come here?
0: Some kind of instinct, memory, what they used to do. This was an important place in their lives. What is it? We've got a war.
2: I'm afraid.
0: We have spawned our own savagery. Soon, it will consume us all. It is a horrible, hauntingly accurate vision of the mindless excesses of a society gone mad. In sight When there is no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth.
3: We are down to the line, folks. We are down to the line. Dawn of the dead.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to the Skewered Universe podcast. My name is Jeff, and we have something a little different, something a little special, something where you might want to find some friends and find a mall to hole up for security. Because we're talking Dawn of the Dead. Not that 2004 Dawn of the Dead either. I mean, that one's fine. But we're talking the George A. Romero original. And who better to discuss this with than my friend and yours, Patrick French. Patrick, welcome back.
3: (laughs) Man, friend, that's a a pretty strong word, Jeff. I mean... (laughs) No, no, yeah, we're talking about Dawn of the Dead, the, uh, you know, the, I guess you could say seminal zombie movie. I mean, some people might argue that there are, are examples, previous examples, including the very first Night of the Living Dead by George A. Romero or, mm-hmm. you know, White Zombie or uh, what's that guy? I can't remember. I want to say Fellini, but I know it's not Fellini, the Italian dude who made the movie Zombies. Oh, with Fulci. A, yeah, Fulci. Lucio Fulci. Fulci. Ucio Fulci, who the zom that movie Zombie has an amazing soundtrack, probably on pair with Goblin. Um, but you know, Dawn of the Dead for me, when I think of a zombie movie and a modern zombie movie and a modern sort of horror film, Dawn of the Dead is is what I go to um, number one, and then you know, Day of the Dead would probably be. I, they they change places all the time. So right. anyway, yeah, right. that's yeah, we're talking about the nineteen seventy was it nine or eight 78 19, version? 1978 yeah the 1978 version with uh you know uh rob zombie's friend ken Foree and uh <laughs> scott reininger and galen ross and david mg you know the the pete roger steven and francine of horror um but yeah no i'm excited this is gonna be awesome So before we dive in here and kind of get to what we're going to be
1: doing, and we'll kind of break down how we're going to go through this, because this is going to be a long, long discussion that we're breaking. Let's just get (laughs) to it now. This isn't going to be one episode covering the whole movie. We're breaking it down into parts for you guys. There's going to be a series of these coming out, several episodes. We're breaking it down, kind of going over a discussion that's how it's going to be. So you're not getting this four hour to six hour opus. It's going to be in pieces. You guys can enjoy it over time. And that gives us time to be able to discuss more about certain areas we want to touch on. And it's just going to be a nice, fun conversation in the movie. That being said, Pat, I want to find out when did you first kind of discover Dawn of the Dead real quick? Like, how did you come to it? Is it something you knew about or something somebody showed you?
3: I think I saw this movie uh, when I was way too young. Like I, I want to say, mm-hmm. sometime in the '80s. You know, probably '86 or '87, maybe when I was 11 or 12 years old. Um, you know, I know I saw the uncut version. Um, you know, young enough to have had it leave a, a dent in my brain and and really cause me to, you know, feel anxious every time i watch this movie but kind of like in a good way you know it's kind of like
2: mm-hmm.
3: it's kind of like something that is terrifying to me but that you know so well that it's that it's gradually become less terrifying but on some level it still kind of messes with your head um you know it's just i think it's the first time i really truly became kind of obsessed with the um zombie genre and um you know, the movie makes a statement. I mean, there's actually an intelligent message behind it. Like a lot of, I think what a lot of people don't, well, what I think a lot of horror fans understand about um, George A. Romero, but I think what a lot of the general public may not understand or first time viewers of the film is that there's a very deep symbolism um, embedded in the theme of the film. I I think that kind of runs through many of Romero's early flicks. Um, I think in his later zombie flicks, he kind of beats you over the head with it. But in his early flicks, I think it was very subtle. And I think he was really uh, telling a a really masterful story and and really using the gore and the violence and the tension of the film to, you know, really nail that point home. But um, when did you first get exposed to it, Jeff? I got exposed to it a little bit later,
1: probably in my early 20s. Like, I had heard about the movie, but I had never sought it out. I had never seen any part of it. Mm -hmm. And then finally, you know, Netflix comes around.
3: (laughs) And I was able to get the disc (laughs)
1: sent to my home, so I rented the DVD, watched (laughs) it, and immediately was like, this is amazing. Yeah, Why haven't I been able to get a hold of this And then eventually I bought the They had like the several disc Special edition With yep. the theatrical cut And then the European cut And then I think there's even A third cut that's even longer than both Of those, it puts everything together
3: There is, yes, I actually Watched that on uh, on YouTube, don't tell uh, George A. Romero, oh, too soon for a George mm. A. Romero being dead joke <laughs> It's oh, been a few,
1: it's been a couple of years now. Yeah. We but can, that, we that's how about. I that's how I watched it this last time too, even though I own it on Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah. It's like, let me watch that one. So we watched the similar one. Yeah. Yeah. I came to it in, in my early 20s and I loved it. The message is very clear as long as you're paying attention. Yeah. But I enjoyed yeah. the the effects. The acting was was solid. Yep. Yeah, it's just a it's a every, solid. Yeah. Everything about it just kind of blew my mind. Like this is from 78, and people hold this in high regard and I understand it. And I think that's part of why I respect so many older films as I go back with not trying to compare it to something else. So I didn't have but a few things to compare this to. So I set any modern zombie movies aside. So let me watch this with fresh eyes, as if I was watching it in 78 even though mm-hmm. I wouldn't even have been born yet. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And yeah, I, I've come to love this movie. It's, a, I think like you, it kind of between it and day of the dead, they kind of switch places. Day of the dead usually tops out as more of my favorite and this running yeah. a close second, but you never know on some days they flip.
3: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, I mean, we're definitely doing an episode on, uh, of, of, Day of the Dead. Um, and I think kind of like what you're saying, you know, that these movies really kind of deserve to sort of be broken up because the, the, the scenes and the locations are all so distinct. And I think, I think they're part of that narrative. You know, I think uh, Romero is definitely an old school linear storyteller, um, you know, and, and I think um, Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead definitely, you know, have a very linear progression. Um, there are very distinct character arcs, although there's some twists and turns. Uh, but by and large, um, you know, they are uh, they are pretty linear, uh, especially in Day of the Dead. But we're not talking about Day of the Dead, even though I could talk about Day of the Dead forever <laughs> and ever. Um, same, same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but no, I mean. I kind of introduced this film to my friends and, you know, it became very memorable, but uh, I remember just like it was yesterday, my buddy Jonah and I uh, watching this as like, you know, bright eyed 12 or 13 year olds, you know, just being like, holy shit!" <laughs> like, you know, cause there's so oh, man. many, there are so many. Holy. And I'll censor myself. Cause my daughter's here. So many. Holy crap moments in this film where you're just like what am i seeing right now you know i mean we'll talk about them but man this this movie is just packed packed with those those moments and um yeah it's it's mind-blowing yeah it's it's definitely got those
1: moments that was the first time i watched it and saw some of those i was like what what am i watching what is this oh my god i love it
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think, you know, uh, like, I agree with you, you know, the 2004 Zack Snyder remake wasn't a bad, uh, wasn't bad. Um, Certainly, I don't think holds a candle to Romero's film. But uh, yeah, I mean, the basic plot line is there, you know, they you know, in the 2004 version, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it in the last 18 years, you know, I don't think I'm spoiling anything for anybody, but they have a zombie baby in that one. And clearly, you know, Dawn doesn't have a zombie baby, I guess. Well, you know, I, I guess it kind of does. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about that later. But um, Possibly, well, we'll, But yeah, I think we'll talk about that probably in the very beginning because I, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. But. <laughs>
1: I think the last thing I'll say about the 2004 Dawn of the Dead is I think it's as decent as it is because James Gunn wrote the script.
3: Oh, did he really write so, the script
1: for that? Yeah, Zack Snyder directed, but James Gunn was what he wrote the script. So I think that's where the little homages come into the original. But yet he kept it a little bit more different, so as yeah. not to be a complete rehash of the original. But enough wasn't said about there bullet?
3: That. Wasn't there bullet time in the 2004? 2004 version of the film don't they have like some bullet time uh, uh action sequences or am i i think it's when the zombies are on fire they slow it they slow down the film they sequence. slow it down but not so much bullet time mm.
1: god i may have to go back and watch it because I, I don't that know. one yeah. as well
3: <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's a zombie kid there's a zombie baby uh, sorry <laughs> I'm, I'm going off on a tangent <laughs> <laughs> it's it's, I guess hey it's easy to do it's easy there's zombie kids in dawn of the dead so you get your if you want to see kids zombies you're not going to get a zombie baby you might get a baby born in the zombie apocalypse at some point off screen but um if you want some zombie kids dawn of the dead gives you zombie kids yeah and we'll definitely we'll definitely get to where (laughs) they show up (laughs) sorry
1: (laughs) No, no no this this is fine we're we're giving teases. Everyone's yeah. going to be like, what are they talking about? If they've never seen this, they're going to understand it. If if they have seen it, they'll be like, oh, I wonder what they're going to say about it. Or if the zombie apocalypse
3: see. happens uh, during the course of our recording, com- completing this epic here, maybe they'll never oh, no. know. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Oh, it man. came out in 78. If you haven't seen it, if, yeah. if you've waited 30 or 40 something years to see the original Dawn of the Dead. Dude, it's on YouTube. It's free. Just 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 queue it up, give it a watch. You'll know what we're talking about. Exactly. exactly. So that being said,
1: let's go ahead and dive in. I mean, right from the beginning. we and it starts, it's very much like there's no opening sequence. We're cutting to opening credits, title card, Francine asleep in, the TV station, which I don't know yeah. why that room had shag carpeting all over the walls. Yeah,
3: it was re- that I think I think that's one of the most I mean, like super simple intro, but like that blood red, this blood red shag carpeting um, on the walls of the TV station. I guess they were using that as like a, I guess they're in the sound booth or control booth. Uh, that's the weird. only thing I can think of is like it's providing some kind of sound
1: insulation. Yeah and she's woken up and basically the station is just bustling and chaotic from the start.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean that this, this scene, the, the, the scene that we're talking about or this location that we're talking about is the, uh, the aptly named WGON radio station or television station. I mean, if George isn't, uh, beating you over the head <laughs> with the symbolism there, uh, I don't know that that's almost like a mugging you know like <laughs> but yeah no it's it's a chaotic scene it's it's uh you know I I really think that that's the way that the film opens is so effective you know it's like what do they call it in media res you know just you're just right in yes. the thick of the collapse of you know everything at that point you know and and it really oh the first the first 30 seconds the music jeff the music right doesn't it oh. grab you like goblin soundtrack where they they're using thin- synthesizers you know let's let's not forget like how ahead of its time goblin was for oh, a movie so soundtrack far. so far ahead of its time like full-on synthesizers um the, what they create with that, with that score, and especially the first, you know, three minutes of the film, is just like mind blowing. I think the music really, really helps add to that, that, you know, that nervous, that, the the anxiety. I remember, I I just remember being a kid, and watching the first five minutes of that, the opening five minutes of Dawn of the Dead were everything's going people are going nuts Fran is asleep she's kind of having a nightmare or whatever and she wakes up and the that that electronic stab comes in with the music you know and you're just like it's like oh shit like you know you're you're there you know what I mean yeah it's it hits you right away you're like oh yeah But I (laughs) I
1: love synth music anyway for movie scores. And a lot of it has to do with, and brief aside, has to do with my love of John Carpenter films and the way he uses the synth scores and stuff. Oh, totally. going back to Goblin, it's like hearing it in Dawn, I'm like, okay, I know exactly what I'm in for hearing this music.
3: Well, that's that's what's so crazy and unique about Dawn is that, I mean tell me carpenter had to have watched that film a thousand times like he had to have been heavily i mean all of the filmmakers I, I, legit 1978 was kind of the was still fairly early in terms of horror movies in america i should say and what george a romero was doing was like so far ahead of its time and and if you consider an all electronic soundtrack in 1978 i mean I think Kraftwerk was probably doing electronic music in 1978, but I mean, by and large, um, that was like way ahead of the curve, you know. I mean, um, but yeah, oh, that just that the first five minutes of that film, you know, you you feel like you feel like you want to throw up because you feel like you're in it, you know. Yeah
1: it it sets the tone so perfectly, and it works because it's. The music is unsettling and the scenario we're immediately thrust into.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Which, from what I was getting, this takes Dawn of the Dead, despite it being released about 10 years after the original night, is taking place, I think, weeks to maybe a month or two after the original incident started.
2: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. basically,
1: that timeline is very short, despite the 10 year gap between movie releases. The timeline is weeks to maybe oh, yeah. a month or two so i'm like okay sure. that makes sense now we're seeing that it's escalated and we're seeing what people are trying to do and we see that in this chaotic mess of a television station that francine when she wakes up she's looking around seeing everyone frantically trying to do this and we get a cameo but from george romero
3: yeah that's right yeah his then I mean, wife yeah That's right. He, he was in there. Yeah. I mean, from what I read, I believe a lot of the production staff, um, were involved in that, in that particular, the opening sequence, there are cameos by a lot of the, uh, production staff, uh, Romero's production staff, because, um, you know, I, I believe they shot the film entirely in, um, or they shot several of the scenes, you know, the, the, um, the apartment building scene the tv station scene um in in pittsburgh uh where they were kind of based out of and so to save you know money they involved a lot of the um a lot of the production people you know in sort of a tongue-in-cheek tongue-in-cheek sort of homage you know i guess as the tv people in the beginning of the film but um yeah for sure and i mean i i what's cool about george A. romero too is um you know if you think about all three of the movies right if you think about the holy trinity of zombie horror um and even his subsequent films um with the exception of maybe land of the dead i don't think land of the dead has explicitly a female protagonist uh the three films have all female protagonists Um, They're all of the main characters are females and um, are women. And, um, you know, they, I kind of feel like there's an evolution of the heroines in his zombie movies, you know, like, I think, um, what's her name, Barbara, they're coming for you, Barbara. (laughs) I think Barbara is, uh, you know, kind of a bit meek, but then she kind of gets it together. Um, I think Fran, Franny, uh, is uh, starts out a bit weak, you know. But spoiler alert, she gets it together. Um, and I think, um, oh God, what's the, what's her name's um, what from her day? Name? Oh, I know the actress's name. name, but I
1: can't remember the character name. It's Lori Cardiel, yeah.
3: Card- yeah, Lori Cardiel, Yeah, who? Her dad. Man, I'm going to do a bunch of asides. Lori Cardiel's dad was like some sort of radio guy in pittsburgh who uh romero um loved and chilly billy you know, hosted yeah, a, uh, chilly horror, billy horror theater
1: type of thing yeah
3: yeah and and that's why you know that's why he was like so gung-ho about getting her but Lori cardiel's cardily's character you know i think starts out the movie strong and ends the movie strong so you see this like Progression of of his heroines in these films, and I definitely think of the three. Um, I really think Fran's character arc is the strongest. I think so because yeah.
1: she very much seems more like Barbara towards the beginning, and then it kind of just she goes, "Nope, this is what's yep. happening now. I'm I'm not going to be that way. This is what I'm going to do." She very much kind of puts her own foot down, like, no. Mm-hmm.
3: And you know what? What we what we don't know as the audience until later in the film is hint hint. Uh, we got a baby on board here, Jeff. We do. We got a zombie baby on board.
1: <laughs> Anytime I hear "baby on board," and this is a weird aside, <laughs> I think of that Simpsons episode with the B sharps, Homer and his barbershop quartet. Sorry. Random. No aside. worries.
3: No <laughs> worries. It happens. Well,
1: well, wasn't works. a big
3: simpsons fan but uh but I'll, I'll just take your word for it but uh no it's not i mean for
1: everybody
3: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no we 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 don't know this yet but but fran is pregnant by her uh, by the by her dashing uh not quite i guess boyfriend or we don't know if she was cheating on her husband or yeah not quite up. boyfriend yeah which kind of makes me feel like there's some sort of sketchy sketchy uh tinder action happening there you know (laughs) a little workplace romance honestly
1: it's it's so weird because you don't you're not really given a whole lot yeah until later when you kind of see
3: how things play out between them a little more yeah but i mean even then you're just kind of like do these people actually like each other? I mean, ah, well, that's for later on in, the, in our episode. But but yeah, no. What what were your thoughts on kind of the first, you know, 10 or 15 minutes of the film where we we hear the score and we we get we get to meet Francine and we get to kind of get a, an idea of what's going on?
1: One of the first things that I took away this last time I watched it was Everything is very claustrophobic It is Mm. shot in a way where everyone is like very much crowded together Yeah Even when you see the scene of the doctor and the TV commentator sort of arguing about the science When he's, Hmm. this actor's trying to explain to people like, look, they die and come back And then the people they kill get up and kill It's like, he's trying to explain (laughs) the people they kill get up and kill kill. he's very adamant and they're arguing over the science even though you see everyone working it's still shot in such a way where they all seem like they're so close together that it's just chaotic and claustrophobic and it's it's disconcerting it's uncomfortable and there's never not a moment where you're not like oh okay this is a little better you're always like oh this is I just want everyone to give everyone their own space, but they're all just <laughs> so cramped and moving around.
3: and Definitely uh, ignoring that COVID protocol, Jeff, I think. I, right, I, which I, I thought was,
1: yeah. which I thought the way the scientist was trying to talk about, look, the science proves this is what's happening. And the commentator going, nobody's going to believe you. What about science? Bob, like still very prescient for these current times we're in of COVID-19.
3: Oh yeah, for sure. Because there are so many
1: science deniers and people saying, "Oh well, Well, we don't really know that that's true." And the scientists are like,
3: "No, here's the data. Come on, guys." I think you know what's so funny to me is like we were just discussing before we started recording the episode, the the "Don't Look Up" movie, and and I think I think that's a common theme in in a lot of these horror films is the inability of the inability of science or the scientific method accounting for what's happening. And I don't know if that's Mm -hmm. like, you know, part of me believes that's like a convenient sort of plot device so that they can kind of do whatever they want. Or if that's really an astute observation of human nature, you know what I mean? Is it, does
1: that make sense? No, I totally understand what you're getting at there.
3: Yeah. Um, you know and and i think um you know lots of films do it i mean one of the best films that that does this that that contains this idea is is prince of darkness where oh, you know yes. where where the computer girl is like typing up on you know typing on her uh, apple IIe or whatever the hell it was a commodore um you know the god pluton will not save you you know like it's just you know it's it's definitely a handy a handy Device to use, and I, and I think, but it fits so well in Dawn, and it fits so well in that zombie genre of like, well, we don't know what is causing it, um, but something's causing it, and you know, there will always be people, you know, who will deny, even as they're being just torn apart by the zombies, and and I think Romero right. kind of caught that, and like you're saying, it's it's very, it's like very prescient for these times where. Um, you know we're just denying what's in front of us and and i think that that's a really astute observation um of human nature so good good call out there jeff
1: <laughs> i mean every once in every once in a while i i
3: have a spark of genius hey, man. you knocked it out of the park <laughs> with that one
1: it just it really stood out to me on this watch <laughs> like he's going no you know, he's he's basically yeah. laying out A, <laughs> B, and C. And this guy's going, yeah, but the people won't believe that because you're not really presenting them with anything they can understand. Uh,
3: yeah. Like, well, it's like, it's like, it's like just in like, don't look up where like finally the scientist had to have an epic meltdown on television, you know, and even that didn't get people to sort of wake up. And, and it's the same right. thing that's happening um you know in dawn of the dead it's like it's like in that beginning sequence i think i think you as the viewer the audience truly i I mean that's what's so horrific about it right like like i i really think that's what makes that's really what sets the the tone of the film is that whole interchange like you're saying when he's like the people they kill get up and kill um and you know the other guys like you scientists always talk that way and blah 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 and it's like you know when you see the collapse of of reason and science and the collapse of authority and um, you know you 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 see it happening it's it's so unnerving I think to to. The audience because it's really easy to sort of put yourself in that place and you know I think I I know there were some things going on in the late seventies that probably made the audience feel like they could put themselves in that place but I also think that if you're coming into this late and you're watching it for the first time as a as a viewer um, you can you can definitely put yourself into that position um, now much more easily. Oh,
1: definitely definitely i mean yeah
3: it's it's one
1: of those things where certain things about the story still fit modern times it still works for modern times because there's nothing necessarily dating it too much yeah it's just human nature
3: and how that yeah sorry jeff
1: No, no 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 it's it's fine i didn't know where else i was going so
3: oh i just like my brain just, just
1: shut off
3: oh, no it's it's like it's like there was not a minute it, that really honestly the the tv station section of the film i mean there's not a minute of wasted time where you're not where where there's not where tension is not being built right like i feel like 90% of the tension in this story is built in the first 15 minutes of the film or or however long that scene lasts i wish if i was smart i would have put like a running time on i would have measured a running time on that on that scene but um yeah not a single second of that a a film is wasted there
1: no not at all and i think you're right about the tension because we we get so much more of that when francine is telling them not to run the rescue stations Mm-mm. because yeah, exactly. some are closed down oh, and yeah. the head of the station is like no you keep them on the screen because when they're on yeah. the screen we have viewers and yeah. viewers means every people, minute it's
3: like you're more every moment about you're viewers. not running those every moment you're, you're running those rec- rescue stations people will tune out you know like totally remember that i mean just so so hollywood there i guess i don't know
1: yeah he's more interested in how many people are going to stay tuned into his station instead of giving yeah credible information trying to help people it's like just keep them on the screen i don't care if they're closed that means people yeah. will watch our station they're going to be tuned into mm-hmm. us and that's all i care about in the end and that's what other people are just kind of like you know
3: what they just kind of throw their hands up and go i'm, I'm out of here well, especially when, you know, Francine's like, are you willing to murder people to, by sending them to rescue stations that aren't open? You know, like, I mean, come on, talk about laying bare uh, the fragility of, of authority and, you know, the thin veneer of, of civilization. Like we, I really think this film, and, and I think that's what I glommed onto um, and and that's what struck me, and, and maybe like maybe a pessimist uh, dented my brain in a certain way was just how easily uh, this film uh, made bare the the fragility of of our of our system, right? Like like all it takes is is one catastrophe to then create a cascading chain of catastrophes you know and and you watch that film and you, you see that interplay between Fran, Francine and and the station director and um, man it's just so affecting you know what I mean I, I know exactly what you mean that's I mean that's something that stood out to me Jeff as a kid that that interplay totally, um, stands out to me and then when the guy's like get that fucking idiot off the air you know like mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you know the, the the every man in the scene who is that guy you know who who's the guy who's arguing against science and then mr science the science guy like the science guy just doesn't even know what to do but the the every man you know reporter man on the street is like get that fucking idiot off the air totally having the reaction that i think a lot of people would have today just unable to entirely process um Mm -hmm. kind of what's happening
1: it's 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 so much of the reaction Hmm. it's just everyone is reactionary everything it's not listening it's oh my god it's just Reaction and blowing things out of control and not wanting to listen and be like, okay, you're telling us we may have some sort of info. What is it? It's screw it, it's the end of the world. We don't yeah. know what's happening. Ah, chaos, it, yeah, Thousands everybody leave. living together, mass yeah. Hysteria.
3: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but but I think you know, I think in a lot of ways that 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 notion, you know, that that sort of every man and woman for themselves um i mean historically we've seen that pan out many many times over the course mm-hmm. of, of history and in in the face of disasters i mean we've also seen the opposite but um you know i mean i i think the the zombie apocalypse is is like you know it's like an it's an existential threat and i think that's why i think that's why this film has so much like uh um God, what's the cultural cachet is because um you know it's an ellie you know it's an extinction level event like a meteor impact or mm-hmm. you know uh eight a ten mile high you know tsunami or a you know a caldera exploding in in yellowstone i mean These are events that stand, I mean, obviously the zombie apocalypse is, you know, totally Hollywood, but, um, an event like that, you would just see things collapse rapidly as everybody kind of scrambles to get away from something that they can't get really get away with from. And I think, you know, uh, man, it's, that's why I'm so torn, you know, but I think that's why, I think that's why, uh, Romero's films and zombie films in general have captured the imagination because it is like a comet impact or a meteor impact. Like, where are you going to run? You can't run, you know, and, 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 but, but it, it's so engaging because, you know, there's also this possibility that maybe you can, maybe you can hole up in a mall and live in a sort of um, you know, garden of Eden uh type of situation, you know. I mean that I think that's what really captures your imagination with this particular film.
1: Yeah, I i agree. And I like what you said about the you know man one man, one woman kind of being able to survive on their own because we kind of see that when Steven steps into the station and tells
3: Francis, yeah, hey, we
1: can get out of here in the helicopter. We can leave. Yeah we literally like have steal the
3: helicopter okay yeah we literally have uh, uh, adam and eve here kind of uh setting it up you know like um you know romero doesn't doesn't go as far to paint that picture but i i think if you think about it one can sort of infer uh sort of that that scenario you know and, and then you have two ables but uh uh you know but yeah no stephen comes in you know uh we meet, we meet him. Um, and, you know, he's yeah, he's ready to abscond with the WGON helicopter and just take off, you know. Yeah,
1: tells her we can get out of here. We'll meet up with my buddy and we'll leave.
3: And don't Dude, I never, come looking for you.
1: <laughs> I never really put together the Adam and Eve thing. And when you said it, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah. It just kind of kinda... clicked. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. OK, thanks, yeah, it's... George.
3: Yeah, you know, he, I mean, I think, I think that metaphor is, is like kind of what Romero is going for, you know, this, so this film, as you know, Jeff has been, uh, is, has been sort of considered a deep, uh, you know, uh, deeply skeptical of consumerism, right? Like, like the zombies, you know, have been described as like an, an analogy has been made between the zombies and consumerism culture and the rise of malls in the late '70s and early '80s, and sort of a con- condemnation of that lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I, I really do think that um, there is some—it does hold some water—and that the Francine or Franny and Stephen character are kind of like the the ideal consumerists right like they're setting these this group of character up characters up to kind of represent you know um you know this this sort of utopia in in this mall that that Mm -hmm. we shall soon talk about i think in in the later episode but um but yeah no and and you first meet steven and and can we talk about the creepy guy who's kind of eavesdropping definitely on, on their conversation? <laughs> He's such a creep. <laughs> what, is, what did is Leanne over. think about that guy? You got to ask Leanne her thoughts on that guy. I'll have, she to, I'll have to once once I show
1: her the movie and its entirety. Oh, okay. She only saw bits and pieces as I was rewatching it. So it's one that I've been meaning to introduce to her because I've shown oh, her man. Day. I've shown her Day
3: of the Dead. What, is, what was her, if I may ask? She
1: really enjoyed Day of the Dead. Nice. dark it was the effects <laughs> and some people be like well you can't really show her out of order I'm like look you'll get the entire story there's there's nothing there's no real through line other than no the zombie infection gets worse progressively yeah. through each story yeah there's no returning characters there's no no through line yep. it's part a is night Part B is dawn, Part C is it, day, but you can watch it is, them out of order and still understand what's happening.
3: For sure, and and yeah, I mean it. It it kind of, in a weird way, is like a retelling of um, of dawn. Not a retelling, but but the structures are are very similar, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and the arcs are very similar, and even the mode of escape is exactly the same. Um, so yeah, I mean maybe Romero had like a heli- a helicopter guy that he got some good rental rates off of. I don't know, but um but yeah, no, that that guy, yeah, our job here is finished. Just standing like, by his camera being a creep he's and he like, like, why he, how, like here? he was like, he was so like it was like he was on like Thorazine or something because the way he like flips off the the camera or whatever, he's just like he doesn't even look at them. You know, he's just like he's he, just staring blankly into the distance. <laughs> yeah, I actually backed it up and watched
1: that a second time. His delivery, and I'm like, I was like, well, it was 78. Who knows what drugs were going around oh the my set? God.
3: I mean, but I, I mean, like zero reaction to like the absolute hell that is being unleashed upon you know the world that he lived in, and he just has nary a care in the world he's just like all jobs here are (laughs) fitting and let's talk about his creepy hair okay come on that dude had the creepiest he was just he just looked like a creep he looked like he looked like a sex that was like (laughs)
1: 70s (laughs) creep hair yeah for sure everything about that was like if
3: you had a mustache (laughs) i'm keeping children away from you because you might be driving a panel (laughs) van you know who you reminded me of is um, like if you were to take what's his name from um, the Big Bang Theory, Jim Parsons, Sheldon. <laughs> that was like Sheldon's dad before oh, no. before Sheldon was born. <laughs> Sheldon's I can, dad. I can see exactly
1: play. what you're saying. Oh my god!
3: <laughs> so Sheldon's dad. Yeah, he added some some flavor to that scene. I think. Oh, yeah, it was that that. Oh
1: like he didn't even care about what was going on at the station no. around him, let alone what was
3: happening outside in the world he's just like
2: eh, yeah he's
3: he's filming he's filming think about it. he's filming a, a like evening broadcast we don't know what time of day it is i guess we assume that it's like either afternoon or late afternoon because steven says for her to meet him at the wherever they're supposed to meet I, did he tell her like at the police dock or where did he i can't remember exactly where he oh on the roof uh on the roof at midnight so i was but they
1: assuming don't even meet. maybe
3: it was like
1: 10 o'clock at night or something maybe early yeah. evening but they really don't
3: give you a, a time frame and I, I okay so i'm putting it together in my head so they franny and steven are, are going to meet on the roof they get in the helicopter presumably and then we move on to the next scene but yeah he wants her to meet her on. He wants her. He wants, Stephen wants Franny to meet him on the roof at midnight. This guy, the 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 TV. I don't want to call him a pedo, but I don't know, <laughs> man. He just he just creeped me out. Uh, and this is like my twelve year old self reacting to how creepy that guy was. And I get the same reaction every time I see him. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's watching society fall apart he's 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 filming with absolutely zero emotion um the everyman joe of the broadcast like screaming over and over again get that fucking idiot off the air (laughs) the scientist who's just blankly you know just total 50 yard or 100 yard stare into you know his existential and literal doom um and just no reaction not panicked not like we don't know what he's gonna do like i i feel like that guy was part of the uh tactical team that that raids the apartment building because i mean he was ice cold man
1: yeah and he's that's a, he's that's a standout actually a character. good that's actually a good transition if you want to dive into the the housing project
3: raid yeah i mean um yeah you know in terms of my notes that's kind of what i had was that guy um you know, I, I just felt like I felt like that guy was like somebody I wanted to talk about. Um, but in terms of the is, is there anything else that kind of stands out to you in terms of the, um, you know, the, the TV station? I mean, you see everybody starting to take off. You see the security guard take off at the end and the director's like arrest those or stop them. And he's just like, whatevs.
1: <laughs> yeah, nobody's listening to this guy anymore. They're like, you know what? society is collapsing we don't we don't need to listen to you this job won't mean anything
3: but you know i mean i i think the funny thing the the thing that kind of stood out to me is that you know just one more thing about the tv station the thing that kind of stood out to me is um you know you never they kind of leave they kind of leave that particular scene in that location and you know i remember the first couple times i watched the movie i just sort of assumed that it, you know that the station gets overrun or whatever but that's not necessarily the case we find out later on in the movie right but yeah um really quickly yeah transitioning over to the uh project house scene but yeah let's let's talk about scene number 2 arguably the most uh politically incorrect and and um culturally insensitive scenes a cluster of scenes in the entire film yeah yeah um Um, yeah yeah this is kind of where you know (laughs) we get into the dark underbelly of conservative america and i'm just kidding
1: (laughs) (laughs) and it's it's also It's also where we meet Roger, but the everything else (laughs) about it kind
3: of outweighs meeting Roger. I mean, can we say that Wooly is definitely like he, you know, he definitely would be a Trump. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just going to scratch that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Scratch that. I don't want to offend any listeners
1: here. Wooly uh, is definitely somebody that (laughs) is on one side of the line.
3: Yes. Yes.
1: And has hard opinions about certain <laughs> people, with the epithets he was throwing out there regarding anyone <laughs> in the building.
3: Yeah, which I'm not going to repeat
1: yeah. because that's not word; those aren't words I say. <laughs>
3: so. Yeah, we we don't say those words, but yeah, Wooly Wooly definitely has some preconceptions of of other folks' lifestyles. We'll just we'll just put it that way. Um yeah. he definitely he he is definitely disenfranchised. Uh, uh, you know, he, he definitely feels like he is getting the short end of the stick and is not shy in expressing those um, opinions in the opening scene when we meet uh, Roger. Uh, arguably the best shot of the group, wouldn't definitely you say? The best shot. Definitely. Um definitely way better than Steven or uh or (laughs) (laughs) granny that's yeah that
1: that's that's not hard to be i mean steven looks like he's never actually held a gun
3: (laughs) and then we meet the red shirt uh roger's buddy oh yeah who (laughs) 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 nervous and dispatched
1: not too long after i guess it's the the cohorts of martinez because they're there's a guy on a bullhorn saying, "Martinez, just come on yeah. out. Just no one out will get your hurt. Hands up. Just come out peacefully." Yeah. yeah. And then all and of a sudden, then. it's a firefight. Guys coming out on yeah. the roof. One in Rogers.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's, there's <laughs> questionable <laughs> casting uh, uh, decisions. I mean, it's hard for me to believe that you could not find a, a Latino ex actor in Pittsburgh in 1978. I'm sure. George Romero could have found somebody, maybe as a budgetary thing. Uh,
1: I maybe I, I, don't know. I choose. To I'm just, gonna give him the benefit of
3: the doubt. There, yeah. you know what I mean? Because I, I don't, I don't want this to turn into a. Wait a second. This is just like that movie, Soul Man. You know, like. Uh, <laughs> oh no! I, I it's, don't... it's not nearly, nearly Soul Man <laughs> levels so. of. Yeah. Soul Man levels of insensitivity and just like. I what? always took this more
1: as uh we got about three hours to shoot this just (laughs) grab that guy and make him look like somebody because i haven't found anybody else
3: yeah well you know what's funny is that um when i was doing reading into the film and kind of um watching a lot of stuff documentary footage about the film that whole rooftop scene was something that that romero did have to slap together and they actually filmed it um on the rooftop of their production offices so it was something that was really hastily um done they had to do it for the cheap or on the cheap you know because this film had a really i think it had like a million dollar budget or something it was a really yeah tight they didn't budget.
1: have a lot to work with
3: <laughs> so you know they they needed to get they needed to buy like gray paint by the gallon truckload you know palette um And um, yeah, so I I think there were some. I think there are some choices that were made, Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. So you've got you got your you got your red shirt guy. You meet Roger. um, Wooly is the name. Our friend Wooly. Yeah. Um, Mister Ape shit himself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The the epitome of loose cannon, Wooly. Yeah, Wooly Wooly definitely was not shy on the old street howitzer there, you know what I mean? Yeah, because once we have our
1: confrontation on the roof and we see our red shirt get shot, Roger kind of goes, oh crap, kind of gets his his bearings.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's go time.
1: And they end up infiltrating the building. This is when Wooly just fully goes into business for himself. He's like, I don't care yeah. about the law. I don't care about anything. I'm killing anyone that's not in my squad. And he probably would have killed people in his squad anyway if they looked at him. Yeah,
3: yeah. Way. Yeah, or or if they were a a you know a, a darker shade. You know what I mean? Like, this is, Wooly finally has his, um, his uh, I'm going to exercise my Second Amendment right writes on the people that i've been complaining about on the rooftop moment and he literally does go or, or really does go ape shit uh you know running through the the apartment buildings um you know dispatching various people <laughs> um including many cla- like a couple of classic scenes um i think one very iconic scene in general you want to talk about this one jeff
1: yeah, the one, if if I know which one you're talking about, it's he kicks open the door, and there's a guy standing there, and he basically does not waste any time and blows his <laughs> head up with a shotgun, in glorious fashion. It's, yeah, it's maybe yeah. two seconds of the door being kicked open and him firing. Just like, oh, <laughs> yeah, all right, done. Wooly Wooly gives zero fucks. At that? Was like didn't even see if he was a zombie or if he had a nope. gun.
3: It was just, you're in my way. <laughs> Boom. He wasn't even in his way. He just kicked open the door and straight blew that dude's head off because, you know, Wooly was feeling it. He was like, he was in the zone, you know what I mean? He was he was feeling something. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, I, f- fucking Wooly, man. Like, I don't know. I, I just... I, I feel like that whole sequence was just an excuse. Like Tom Savini, let's talk about Tom Savini, who had a, a, a slight role in the film where he also chose to use a racial epithet that was, um, uh, you know, novel, but um, still pretty dang racially insensitive. Uh, yeah not not
1: quite as as bad yeah. and jarring but you hear it and you're like yeah you're
3: like did okay. i hear that right yeah yeah you're like wait a second come on man um but uh yeah i think i really think tom savini wanted to show off what he could do um technically and uh you know i i definitely think in terms of tom savini and just that i i I mean that that head exploding scene has got to be one of the most pivotal uh holy shit i I mean i'll tell you this jeff that that when i first saw that scene as a kid the very first time not knowing anything about the the movie Mm -hmm. um that shit blew my i mean i was horrified and like for like a nanosecond just completely like speechless and then me and my buddy jonah started just fucking laughing and going like this is fucking awesome like (laughs)
1: like pretty much my reaction that i was by myself and i was just speechless and then i was like
3: holy shit (laughs) i mean i mean that man Oh, man, I just every time, every time. I mean, people have done it since, you know, and and I think if you're like a modern viewer of the film, um, you know, and, and you're a big fan of action or horror or whatever, I mean, epic, epic sort of, um, you know, epic villain death is kind mm-hmm. of like par for the course. But I mean, this is just like a quick. 30 what would you say 30 seconds 30 second scene of just like unmitigated violence that doesn't really advance the plot the overall plot of the film except to show that Willie is a or that Wooly is a a crazy motherfucker at this point that he's completely lost it. Um but yeah I would argue it does it does offer some advancement of the plot
1: because Wooly's going nuts we see another SWAT officer kind of jump on him to try and stop him. Yeah. And one person just kind of steps out through the tear gas that they've used in this building and fires off one shot. Oh, yeah, you're right. And that turns out to be another one of
3: our heroes, Peter. You're right. And now, correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, was that, because I don't know if that was actually established in the theatrical cut or if that is... Because I know in the extended cut, that's how they tie the people together. But in the original theatrical cut, and I could totally be wrong about this, I don't know if they established that that was Peter or not.
1: We didn't really see that it's Peter. And I think in both cuts it's the same until we get down into the basement.
3: Yeah. And then
1: he and Roger start talking and sort of introduce themselves.
3: Yeah, but Peter doesn't
1: somebody stepped through and is like, I've had enough of this BS. We're here to do a job by the law. I'm taking this guy down.
3: Yeah. And you're like, oh. But I don't think Peter, like, explicitly says he, he killed Wooly, but he's like, you know, he's like, he asks Roger if he was in Wooly's unit. Right. So yeah. unit he's like,
1: yeah, but then Roger's like, yeah, but I didn't really want to be. but Yeah. yeah but, but by the
3: cut, the cut of Peter's jib, you kind of are like, okay, yeah, that was definitely Peter who fucking blew his ass away but yeah yeah um, yeah totally no that that is that is um, you're exactly right so I, I stand corrected on that but uh, and, and it wasn't I think to that'll... try
1: and correct you I just was, was saying I, no, totally. I see it as it gives a reason for us to be like well who's this guy that took him out and then we see like oh okay that's the big guy that took him out okay this is no, one you're of the right. other guys who we're going to follow I yeah, establishes no, totally him right. as sort of a, like I'm not going to take any crap from people, but if you're crossing a line, I'm definitely going to put you down. Kind of
3: person. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I really think you know Peter, and if we're talking about finally this sort of fourth main character of the film, Peter really is sort of the moral compass of of this little band. You know the 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 fellowship of the mall. Um, <laughs> you know he he really is he really is. The compass the the moral compass he, he really is the guy who um is you know the most level-headed and the most the grounded most, out of the group yeah yeah for sure like you know um you know which kind of makes his decision his, his sort of his arc is probably the bumpiest right like you know he 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 goes he he goes definitely on the hero's journey just like um um franny does um but her i think i would argue that her arc is a little more um linear a linear progression upward and i think um peter's arc is a little a little different Um, but ultimately i can agree with that yeah ultimately they they are you know they are the heroes i guess you could say of of the story in a sense you know uh by (laughs) by virtue of of survival Um, spoiler alert uh, but uh, you know (laughs) but yeah I mean I think and then I think that segues into uh, that kind of opens us up into kind of seeing the zombies right like we've kind of we've kind of um, heard about the zombies the zombies have been foreshadowed through the first 15 or 20 minutes of the film but now is when you actually get to see the zombies in action.
1: We get to see the one woman thinking her husband is fine, and he rips a chunk out of her neck.
3: Oh well, I mean, which, let's go back. Ooh. Let's go back to the yeah. Oh, I got some feelings on that that particular scene. Oh, but even before um, that,
1: there's the the two SWAT officers.
3: Yeah, go into yeah, that one room. Yeah, and and I think that scene is a really. I, I think it's a minor scene, but I think kind of going back to scenes that are advancing sort of the plot of the film, um, you know, that early encounter with those zombies really kind of shows you the sort of uh, the, the dualistic, I guess, uh, reactions to the zombies, you know, like they're, they either, you know, the, the film kind of wants you to feel terrified and wants you to kind of take a look at these creatures and, and you either react like the one officer who you know eventually kills himself or the other guy who's just like shoot it in the head man. you know Mm -hmm. like you know um the guy says shoot in the head wrestles with
1: another one and takes him out quickly and keeps telling the guy just shoot it this guy's hesitating like he freezes up
3: Mm -hmm. exactly and i think you know i think that that's like a great scene because it kind of if you as the viewer are sitting there going like, well, uh, you know, we would take these things out. Right. You know, like, like you as the viewer, like this, this scenario is so unlikely because, you know, we would just go around shooting them all in the head. Um, you know, I think, I think most people would be in a moral dilemma. Cause you know, I mean, I put myself in the, the position of these people. If, if it were my wife or my daughter, who had become zombified you know i mean could you make that decision you know if it was your wife or if it was your mom or if it was your sister or your best friend or you know what i mean like like yeah, it's so know, easy exactly. to be flippant about this and 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 be like well screwed i'd shoot him in the head but realistically like you know that would drive a person insane i i really think the walking dead the first season of the walking dead with the um What's his name? Morgan's character, where he has to, he stays. You know, to it's again spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the fucking first season of The Walking Dead, well, you know, cue that up right after you're done watching Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead yeah. and Night of the Living Dead. Um, you could skip Land of the Dead and all of those other uh, kind of crappy, subpar Romero films. But um, yeah. but yeah, you know, there's a huge, <laughs> there's a huge moral dilemma there, and and I really do think that you know, I I think a lot of the population, if forced to, you know, take out their family members would be like, it would drive you crazy, you know? Uh, I agree 100%. I mean, even even forced to
1: take out a stranger like this guy, he was hesitating because I think it was one out of fear and two out of what are we really supposed to do here? I don't know. Like confusion and fear and like this was once a person and he's just like mm-hmm. conflicted with yeah. what to do. And the other guy's just yelling at him, shoot him in the head. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately yeah, that mean... guy seals his own fate by hesitating and he gets bit.
3: hmm Yeah. And so yeah, I mean you kind of I, I, I feel like I feel like the apartment house scenes are just like really again there's not a whole lot of wasted um wasted time in these scenes there's you know it's it's not chock full of um exposition and the exposition when that that you get when um peter and roger finally meet up in the uh basement of the building is um you know is effective you know they meet with the the guy you know uh uh kind of a jump scare kind of clever gag there they meet with the uh one-legged preacher who they think is a zombie momentarily
1: right it's one-legged and and blind i believe right
3: was he blind
1: i think so wow although i might be confusing him with the preacher and they live
3: yeah i'm not sure but goddamn man that guy is meat for the board that sucks that sucked to be one-legged you know what's that's the worst possible thing you could be. And blind. If you're yeah. one-legged and blind in the zombie apocalypse, you're definitely chum. Like, I'm I'm definitely kicking you off the bed of the truck into the zombie horde to slow them down for a minute. Like, I need to save myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> you are slowing everyone down. You're going to heaven, dude. You're a preacher. You're you're good.
1: <laughs> God smiles upon you. <laughs>
3: your noble but, uh, sacrifice will be remembered <laughs> <laughs> until the next person we got to sacrifice to stay alive for another episode another movie um oh man but yeah i mean i mean you have that you have that exposition down there um you know they they talk about um sort of what needs to be done and the the preacher offers them some fairly succinct yet um, kind of ironic advice right like in order to stop the or in order to win we must stop the killing in order to stop the war or to win the war something to that effect yeah something
1: along those lines I don't remember exactly and I didn't write it down
3: because
1: I was taking so many notes at this time
3: I think a really clever line that you know as a for me as a younger viewer I totally missed right like this guy's basically telling them the secret and 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 giving them this ironic advice that we know that that's foreshadowing the impossibility and inevitability of this particular world we're in now, right? Where we can't stop the killing because,
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, you know, the killing is getting up and coming after us. So, kind of funny. Um, and I think he echoes the same line that uh peter's character echoes later on in the film right does he say doesn't he say when there's no more room in hell isn't that one of the lines that the one-legged preacher says he might say something along those lines i don't remember like, exactly but it's, he it's may like say in a, something
1: close to
3: yeah it's like in a kind of like a sing-songy voice he says that when there's no more room in hell i don't think he completes the line but he's like saying something when he walks out, right? Yeah. Because uh, Peter is is largely silent. I think they're both largely silent in, you know, while the preacher is giving them this sort of line, or while he's talking to them. Yeah, they're both just kind of listening to him.
1: Like, okay, let's let him say what he's got to say, and then we'll,
3: yeah. move on and yeah. see what else is
1: going on here.
3: Oh, but let's not skip. Yeah, you were talking about the the arm biting scene. Dude, dude.
1: Oh.
3: oh. <laughs> I still, man, I've seen that movie literally probably three or four dozen times. And I still, it's so hard. I, I can take the neck scene, the neck biting, but the arm biting for some reason, it's just too it, it I can feel it. You know what yes. I mean? And it's just, it's gnarly. Like I just am blown away how they were able to do that because it looks so freaking real
1: it's so visceral and it's like oh like every time i like grab my arm in the same spot like oh i can feel it no i don't want to oh
3: you know and then when when that when when uh uh, what is it Kevita? what was his name i forgot the guy's name but she's like um god what the hell miguel She's like, yeah, me, 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 que vida, me, mm-hmm. vida, me, me, and, you know, he's like, and then he bites her arm and then he gets a chunk out of her neck, you know, and he gets shot. Yeah. He's still got a chunk of meat in his mouth. Oof. Just gnarly.
1: And she's running at him and they're trying to tell her, like, no, stay back. And she's like, no, it's my love. And he's yeah. like, yeah. <laughs>
3: He's like, yeah, come to me, baby. Come to Papa. Yeah. come here. I'm hungry. <laughs> talk about a talk about a, a, a DoorDash sort of uh, scenario. <laughs> oh oh yeah. talk no. about an Uber Eats. Pull it up. to your curbside <laughs> delivery, baby. <laughs> oh man, and it's so. Oh, it's awful. I love that And its awfulness. <laughs> Oh, it's so good though. It's so good though. It's, I mean, it, it it's like this, that, th- like that scene, those scenes like set the tone for the whole freaking movie. I mean, they don't get any gnarlier than that. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, you got the, you got the National Guard down in the basement trying to do some cleanup operations. Um, you got, you know, the, the, the SWAT team or whoever the Peter and Roger are with, you know, sort of upstairs, you know, trying to clear the rooms. You got Miguel chowing down on his, on his woman. You got Wooly blowing people's heads off. I mean, it's it's just chaos. It's chaos. And there's,
1: there's two (laughs) other scenes that I want to touch on here while we're discussing everything. Uh, One, one is kind of, slow and sort of like dark and kind of like oh this hits weird and I'll get to that one but the other one that (laughs) kind of of seems comedic to me is we're in the midst of this zombie apocalypse everyone going into this building every SWAT member every National Guard person knows zombies exist yet there's a group of cops who start breaking down boards over a door (laughs) and then freak out when they get grabbed by zombies I'm like Guys, it's boarded for a reason. Leave it alone.
3: You kind of knew. Like, yeah, like they didn't just board up this room with a billion zombies in it because, you know. And every time I see
1: it, I'm like, guys, you could have just walked right by it. There's nothing in there
3: for you. Or, you know, you just ask the residents of the apartment, like, yo, what's behind this door that's been heavily boarded and fortified? (laughs) Like what? What? What's behind all of these boards that have been, uh, you know, uh, sort of loosely nailed together to to create a barrier of some sort? And nobody yeah, ever asked that question.
1: Nobody. They just go in and they just start hitting the butts of their guns. They're knocking this wood down, and they're like, "Oh no, zombies!" As they reach out and grab them, I'm like, "Guys, come on." Yeah. It was. It was a little your- humorous for me.
3: Oh, it's hilarious. It's like, it's stupid. Uh, you know, can, can we talk about Jim Carrey's first appearance in a, in a film? <laughs> you know who I'm talking about, right? So, so after the scene, so I think, I think I know what scene you're going to talk about next and, and, and that's the old shoot um, shoot 'em up scene in the basement, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so there's that scene where, uh, you know, Roger and, and, and Peter take care of business and, you know, Roger's shocked as to why, you know, the residents of the building would drop, you know, <laughs> would wrap up their, I mean, let's, man, you know what they should have done is they should have given the residents of the building the guns to take care of the zombie problem because, man, like, are we assuming that some of those zombies were wrapped up or taken care of after they died, like and turned into zombies, because man, hats off to the residents of the building for being able to corral them down into, you know, down in the basement in an essentially a caged off area. Yeah, I'm like I'm assuming a lot of them were just before,
1: like they hadn't yeah. turned, because how hard would it be to corral everyone if they had turned? There
3: would have been no doing that. But that freaking, um, that freaking. Yul Brenner looking dude who's chowing <laughs> down on a leg that dude definitely that dude definitely was uh, a live one they corral or an undead one they corralled down in the basement mm-hmm. but do you remember that scene when when you know they take care of business down there and uh, and that one guy's like you guys all right you need more you need more ammo or something like that and, and Peter's like it's all done man it's good and Very then that nice. other guy directly behind him like pokes his head in all like, oh, like Mr. Magoo, you know, like, all, oh, that guy looks just like fucking Jim Carrey.
1: Oh my God, you're right. Because I remember him sticking his head and I'm like, what is this guy doing? It's like, he just pops in like, what's going on guys?
3: He totally made like a comedic Jim Carrey face too. Like, like totally cartoonish, like, ooh. Like he had that like, ooh face. I'm like, Oh, my God, man, if if that's... They're really calling up the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> oh, man, I'd feel way safer with a bunch of those hunters out in, in the next scenes we'll be talking about. Oh, man. Oh, my God. But, yeah. Yeah, but that yeah.
1: scene, it's just every time I watch it, you just see these zombies kind of thrashing around and what I'm assuming oh, are, like, man. laundry bags tied up around the yeah. neck, just... Some of them are eating. They're not really tied up, so I'm assuming they were the last ones to just kind of get pushed down there.
3: Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. Like, I mean, hand them
1: a leg and throw them down there.
3: Something. Yeah. Because they're eating. They're tossing a leg. They're just like baiting zombies into the cave.
1: Yeah, and then there's some that are completely wrapped up and just kind of thrashing about, and you're like, oh.
3: Dude, this is where my D&D idea for a villager on a stick would come in handy. <laughs> is like, it's like you get like, a, like one of those man traps and you just put like a, a, you know, a non-turned corpse on the end of it and you just stick it out there, bait the zombies into like jumping off cliffs or walking off buildings. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, my D&D man. buddies, uh, my D&D buddies always were uh, totally um, repulsed by my um, trap finding technique and D&D were... I'm like, we just go get a corpse, and we just stick it on the end of one of those man catchers, and we just like puppet it down the hall, and and set off any of the traps, you know. And they're like, Pat, what the fuck is the matter with you? It makes perfect sense to me. I, that's hey, I mean, and I blame Dawn of the Dead. Right? I <laughs> it was like I watched Dawn of the Dead too many times. But yeah, no, it's it's definitely a uh, man. That scene was pretty crazy because I mean, y- you got the personal, you know, and then you've got the mm-hmm. impersonal where they're wrapped up in those laundry bags or sheets or whatever, and they're just kind of squirming. And you know, you get that feel because right, you start to hear the noise like the grunting and like, uh, you know, yeah, and it's oh, dude, because did you notice like there's music or you know, um background noise through the whole movie up until that point but when they actually get in there and they're just shooting it's the sound of the gunfire the pistols and the sound of like the zombies grunting but nothing else they like right. turn down all the music all the background noise so you just are left um you know as a as a viewer to just hear the sounds of you know peter and roger basically you know
1: I did notice it's, Zambies. <laughs> it's very simple sound design, but it's very effective. It's like no music, just the sounds of gunshots and moaning. That's all you're going to hear.
3: Yeah. It's really, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's like second amendment porn, that scene. Oh, but um... <laughs>
1: yeah, when you say that I'm just like, I start thinking of people I'm like, oh no.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Like, I, I mean, I mean, definitely you know some later scenes in the film with where you have like the national guard and some hunters was definitely you know that's definitely conservative that's bible belt country right there you know what i mean like they're waiting they're waiting for the zombie apocalypse to go off Mm -hmm. but um you know but yeah no that's that's in the later in later scenes but yeah i think in terms of the of the apartment building do you think we uh Is there anything else that you think? I can't really think of anything else that stands out to me except for Jim Carrey in an army uniform. (laughs) No, no. There's not a whole lot more
1: that stands out because it's just another instance of that claustrophobia and chaos.
3: Yeah, exactly. And
1: and I think it's done on purpose because then once we get to the mall setting, everything is very much open and expansed and spread out. So there's no more yeah. of that real claustrophobic feel, like, feeling. It's like you yeah, it really get a little bit of like a reprieve from you, everyone being so close around you and the the chaotic, claustrophobic feelings.
3: For sure. I mean, I definitely, I definitely feel like you nailed it in terms of the chaos. Like, like really, the first sort of four locations in the film illustrate the the sort of like primordial chaos of a civilization dying right you know you've got you've got this chaos you've got this um this sort of madness and and these these structures that you know we think are are enduring and and long lasting just sort of falling apart and you know everybody devolving um into you know like their their various camps or groups or what have you, you know, you you can see everything sort of fragmenting and and kind of falling apart. And I think the first four sort of scenes, major scenes in the film, you know, the the TV station, the apartment building, you got the police dock, which I think we could probably touch on um, and then sort of save the rest for the next episode. But, uh, you know, you got the police doc also sort of like a really good, um, almost like a, a kind of symbolic, you know, so you've got, you know, the TV station in my mind represents kind of the um, social structures falling apart, right? And right. then you've got the um, the apartment building where you kind of see, um, or I, I would say the, the TV station is more the the cultural like meme sort of structures that the kind of like the authority, but the media structures sort of mm-hmm. falling apart, coming, coming undone. Then you've got the apartment building where the social structures, the families, you know, uh, relationships sort of start to fall apart because, you know, people are getting eaten by their family members or unable to sort of put people down or, or think about their relationships in a logical super cold way and then you have the police doc where you see like the authority has really broken down right and we get to meet
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh one of the most legendary zombie actors and you know a pittsburgh guy that george A. romero really liked uh what's his name i can't his name joe palato Joe Pallotto. Yeah. Joe Pilato, Very young Joe Pilato He was even younger in The Crazies, but a super young Joe Pilato, Um, you know, and his gang. Uh, his and, gang and, of, <laughs> which I called here in
1: my notes, his gang of running weirdos, meaning they're running yeah. away from what's going on and they're all just
3: slightly weird. <laughs> oh, they're, they're doofuses for sure. I mean, I, I legit feel like a mentally challenged individual is legit a part of their, a legit mentally challenged individual um, is part of their, their team, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I yeah. feel like how that guy has managed to survive, uh, you know,
1: <laughs> Oh man!
3: sheer luck, sheer yeah. luck. Because Darwinism definitely would have taken, has taken in the film, probably had taken 90% of oh, the people like him, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we, and, and we also see the, um, we also see the, um, all four of the main characters kind of come together and meet each other for the first time.
1: Right. This is where they all kind of uh, get together. But we, we see that this station, this police dock, now yeah. I'm not sure if it's implied that Joe Pilato and his his goofs killed anyone there, or if they just were leaving because somebody died. Because we see somebody dead in there. Steven is checking yeah. it out, and someone's dead. And it's never yeah. really stated how it happened. It's just kind of like he goes, "Oh, this guy's dead." It's all abandoned. Yeah. And he sees the other guys. are like, "Well, you're stealing the, uh, you know, you're stealing company gas, company gas." Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, really. I, yeah i I mean that's another that's another just such a quirky fucking scene that stands out to me i'm like i mean i remember as a kid like this dude's a cop why is he calling it company gas you know so Mm -hmm. i i don't think i think romero read that line and i think he probably knew how weird it sounded and i think we're left to infer that clearly these guys are not cops um And maybe they shot the, maybe they shot the dude that they, you know, that Steven finds um, in the chair dead. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's never established for certain, you know?
1: Yeah. And that's kind of the way I took it the first time I saw it was that, oh, these guys probably aren't really cops. They just grabbed a bunch of stuff that was in there. They just kind of play the part. Yeah, because they're running and they're like, oh, well, if we put this on, maybe we can intimidate others into giving us stuff or listening to
3: us. Yeah, like clearly, clearly they're, they're trying to speak the lingo, but you know, they don't understand that the police aren't a company, you know, but but they're not, they're also not very bright at the same time. Not at all. Especially and, the, and the
1: I, last guy before they leave. I think
3: he's asking for <laughs> cigarettes. Cigarettes, the cigarettes and you got guy. cigarettes. Like, you, guys, you guys got any cigarettes? Like he's just like and they give him and <laughs> I mean, there are so many comical characters. Like you had Jim Carrey in the down in the basement of the apartment building. Then you got this doofus, like just like smiling, like, oh my God, he's just so comical. You know, there's like there's definitely a, a, a heavy dose of comedy in this film. I mean,
1: yeah, and it does play out very much like, like a comic book would with your little, and not so much like your traditional comic book where it's a hero, superhero story or the ones where there's humor. It's more of that dark, real kind of comic book, and then every once in a while they're interjecting humor
3: yeah, for sure. And it well, goes I mean, full
1: tilt later. We know how comedic oh, it could get.
3: Yeah, it gets ridiculous later, and I, I mean, I I think like to the point of absurdity. And I think <laughs> the absurdity is sort of the point. It's kind of like kicking the audience in the balls. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like you you kind of have to stick in some absurdity there at that point to sort of release some of the tension that's building up because right after that part, then they really hit you with the heavy stuff, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, but, you know, in this, this particular little mini location is, is kind of like, I think sort of done strictly to, you know, get all of the characters to meet and to inject a little um, levity into the film because the film up until that point has been pretty fucking bleak.
1: Yeah, this is this is kind of a bit of a palate cleanser, a little humor, yeah. a little slow the pace down. Let's bring our four main characters together.
3: Yeah, give you yeah. a little
1: and, a little humor. Yeah, and, then and we'll we'll get you moving we'll, more into the main. But
3: then, yeah, we're gonna so. ground you. We're gonna ground you as the audience here at this point because you know it was a lot to take in, um, but you know we're definitely gonna. We're gonna definitely catch on the flip side, you know. Oh yeah, so. But um, I think you know, I think the police doc might be a good place to sort of stop. I mean, unless you want to touch on the the sort of um, the turkey shoot scene that just seems so.
1: I think briefly we can hit that real quick because there's not a lot to it. It's basically what I've called it it is the hillbilly zombie hunting jamboree. Yeah,
3: it's so. I, I mean. I feel like out of all of the scenes in the, I feel like it's the weakest. It, it feels like B-roll filler. You know what I mean?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, because it, it doesn't necessarily deal with any of the characters and, and there's only the thinnest thread. Um, well, I mean, we end the police talk scene where the, um, with the famous, um, we're trying to get to the island, and they're like, "What island?" And he's like, "Any, Any island."
2: island.
3: <laughs> the island in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're it's, we're gonna take we're literally gonna take a, a an aluminum prop boat to the island in Pittsburgh.
1: It's like okay, buddy. Good luck. Yeah.
3: See you guys.
1: <laughs> Good luck with
3: that. <laughs> uh, but. Maybe I, I like to think head cannon um, Joe Pilato is still actually Captain Rhodes. <laughs> um, but he's just gone off the grid, you know, he's like a CIA guy and he's just gone off the grid and conscripted, you know, some morons to help get him mm-hmm. to uh, Florida, to the shelter in Florida.
1: That's this is just idea. before he got his orders to go into that shelter and then completely lose his mind.
3: Or maybe he maybe he got his maybe like his CIA handler was like get your ass to Florida Rhodes, and Rhodes is like, I just need some lackeys and I'm on my way. <laughs> he just, cause yeah, he assembles. Like it seems like Rhodes seems to gather lackeys, like cartoonish, cartoonishly stupid and predict- predictable lackeys around him.
1: Yeah. You know what? I could see that. And then he would just throw them into the fire so he could safely get inside the compound. I could see him yeah. doing that yeah we just just, just, we found the through line between dawn and day
3: (laughs) yeah he just he just gathers about uh uh lackeys on his like you know six month quest down to his uh deployment his last deployment underground Mm -hmm. but yeah totes that's headcanon for me i don't know about you jeff you can and you know if yeah, they're it gonna makes make more a, sense
1: now. I'm I'm definitely gonna go with that theory.
3: And goddamn it, if they're gonna make like a prequel to Dawn of the Dead, they can't steal my god or a sequel to Dawn of the Dead, like an an intramural sort of film between Dawn and Day. Nobody better steal my goddamn idea about that
1: though no, we, we got to trademark that
3: because <laughs> that would be fucking dope we should
1: shoot that film. <laughs> we have it on record whose idea it was so if any of you out there make this movie we will be coming after you <laughs> Donner
3: of the Dead the Colonel Rhodes Saga Dusk of the Dead Dusk of the Dead yeah, what, yeah exactly or no what would it be like Afternoon of the Dead and see in my head at first i went oh twilight of the dead
1: i went oh wait that was a working title that romero had for something else which i think ultimately became land of the
3: dead fuck it we're going to call it twilight of the dead there we go
2: to honor george
3: to honor george (laughs) pour one out for george zombie george um i want zombie george to direct twilight of the dead (laughs) (laughs) that would be amazing (laughs) okay anyway sorry george Love you, love you, man. We love love you, your work. Um, but yeah, no, you have got the great the hillbilly zombie hunt jamboree. Which, yeah, you I know.
1: like you said. I think it's filler because I think there's a lot of flyover shots that are thrown in, just showing our heroic four kind of seeing what's going on down there. And it's it's basically just a larger version of what was going on in Night of the Living Dead at the end.
3: Yeah, like the end of Night larger of the Living Dead. Yeah. of
1: people getting together. And I've in my notes I have it here. It looks like it's fueled by, by incest and Iron City beer.
3: Yeah, for <laughs> sure. <laughs>
1: Lots well, of beer. I mean,
3: yeah, yeah, you're right. Those are definitely coal country guys that and gals, and you know, definitely a lot of Iron City beer. A lot, of, you know, you know that stuff just tastes like just hot garbage, like metal. You know, it tastes like Ugh. you know, it tastes like the inside of the. Shitty aluminum can or steel cans that, that came in, you know? Yeah. Tastes like garbage. Yeah. Could you imagine a, a can of ho- oh. a hot can of Iron City beer, what that would taste like? It tastes like, you know what it tastes Ooh. like? It tastes Ooh. like the, the, like if you cut the tops off of 20 Duracell batteries <laughs> <and> you, <laughs> you <laughs> do <laughs> you dumped it into a can of beer oh man it'd be so bad (laughs) is it weird that's all that's all i think about when i see that seed now is when they're pulling the tabs off the beer i'm just like god that probably tastes like shit no
1: because because you
3: know you know they love it because it's local but everyone else is like oh no 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 (laughs) this tastes like cancer in a can this is what yeah it's just oh man i just every time with that those scenes i'm just like and and like you were saying i mean i think there's literally what is is there one flyover scene where they like they tie it together because an explosion happens underneath the when they shoot the the hillbillies are shooting at the zombies and they shoot the car and it explodes right yeah, and that's yeah, there's kind of that probably... one
1: flyover scene They kind of show it, and then we kind of get a ground scene where we're going through and seeing that it's sort of. Oh
3: yeah, they've
1: got their little game set up where they're shooting at them here, and yeah, it's really bizarre. Yeah. But I think it's just there to fill the time between them leaving the police stock and then eventually getting to the airfield.
3: Which it definitely that's where feels... we can pick up. Yeah, yeah, we'll part. definitely pick up at the airfield, but it definitely feels like. That, that definitely feels like scenes that were shot because the running time wasn't quite long enough.
1: Yeah, like they just needed some kind of filler to put in there. They're like, hey, yeah. put this in. We'll show it in some flyover shots and use that to show, hey, they're going over this. Kind of look what's going on down there.
3: Yeah, I really feel like out of all of the scenes in the movie, um, you know, if, if I were to make a director's cut you could cut that entire sequence out of the film and you would never, you know, it's like when, it's like when, you know, Steven and, and, and Peter wall up uh, a certain part of the mall, you just never know it was even there. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: You know, I mean, you just cut that five minutes or whatever it is and you would just never know. I feel like, the stuff that that is included on the director's cut is way stronger and they could have put that in instead of that part of the film. I don't understand how that part of the film survived. Yeah. Because it it narratively doesn't connect the scenes at all. Having them
1: sort of look out the window and see the flyover of it happening, totally fine with that. But once we go to the ground and we're kind of going through everything, I'm like, well, why is this here? It doesn't really affect anything. It's just showing us... More of the breakdown that you've already given us In two
3: scenes in the beginning And not even really strongly Though you know what I mean Mm -hmm. Like it's not I I mean like Okay God now I want to talk about this right Like now I'm having feelings (laughs) on this Fucking part of the movie Um, The The scenes scenes where you see Like the National Guard and, and they got like Their howitzers in there and you know And then the zombies are like coming in behind them because they're having a fucking barbecue and taking pictures and getting wasted like i feel like that those are strong scenes right like you could have put that in there um and then just gone straight to the airfield I, I mean i'd have to see it on film to see how it would pan out but like or even the scene where they shoot the gas tank and it explodes but the the scenes where it's like the random hunters just shooting at the zombies like we could have cut that out you could have cut that those that two minutes of film out and just went straight to the scene where they're shooting at the zombies by the car the car gas tank explodes and then the w gone helicopter flies over and then boom you you still have a strong scene where you're showing the military breaking down and and the civilian authorities breaking down and chaos sort of out in the country and still have that filler time in there you know what i mean
1: Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, because there's several shots within that entire scene of just groups of people cracking open beer, standing around talking and drinking beer. I'm like, yeah, this doesn't really convey anything like what we've seen before. Yeah. So it's the only kind of semi disjointed part of the movie is those scenes that are thrown in of guys just like cracking open beer and drinking them and having fun with their buddies. I'm like.
3: Yeah, but it, it's just all it did for me, even as a kid, I'm just like, God, that beer looks like it tastes like shit. <laughs> yeah. Even as a 12-year-old, yeah. I'm like, fucking Iron City beer looks fucking horrible. It looks like Iron City beer is like the tab of beers. You know what I mean? Like, tastes like battery acid, probably. Probably. It's like, ugh, I don't even... I feel like the Iron City beer is what caused the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> like, they mix, somebody spilled some Worcestershire sauce in the Iron City beer, and boom, zombies. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> anyway, nice I think, South Park
1: reference there. I, I, yeah. I appreciate that.
3: <laughs> yeah, but Iron think, City
1: yeah. beer is like. Iron uh,
3: City. Iron it's City like low beer. class
1: Budweiser, which, you know. Budweiser already isn't good, and if you get worse, you get Iron City Beer.
3: Yeah, it's like it's like you couldn't get anybody else to be in this po- on this podcast that so you got me, and I'm like the oh, Iron no, City no, no, Beer. No no, of no, 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 no. no. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. <laughs> no, no, no.
1: You are you are like a prestigious craft brewery
3: oh, no. seasonal I'm like- release. My emotional intelligence—I'm like the Iron City beer of emotional intelligence. You know what I mean? Like, i, I like the worst. But yeah, no, i, I think that's—I think—I think this is probably a good place to, uh, you know, pick up at the uh, the the airports where we get some more iconic uh, scenes yeah. and definitely get and some kids. iconic scenes there. If you love kids. children, if you love children, the next part of the next podcast is for you. Yes, it's it's
1: definitely what everyone who loves children should see. <laughs> that's
3: it's, it's the reason why I will not show this film to my wife. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I, I mean it's not why. it's
2: and
3: it's not gratuitous. Yeah, it's not gratuitous, but. Yeah, you, it's still it's it
1: still go. ballsy.
3: Yeah, you're definitely going and, and and you know you've got coffee machines doing what coffee machines do, <laughs> being dicks. You know, yep. you got a little bit of everything, really. In yeah,
1: it's a it's a mishmash. <laughs> a nice, it's a uh, grab amalgam- bag of
3: <laughs> a grab bag of horrific experiences, all in one location. It'll be fun. Yeah, so we'll pick up there. Um, Big old shit sandwich in the zombie apocalypse. (laughs) It's it's the last semi-chaotic
1: place before they get to the mall, and that's all I'll say about that.
3: Yeah, for sure. There's a lot happening at the airport. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah, so, you know, teaser there.
1: Well, this, this has been fun. I, I think we've had a good conversation about this first part of the film.
3: Oh, yeah. It's been awesome, man. This is, I, I think, I think this is exactly how we should have done it. Yeah. For sure. Definitely. I'm excited for the next, the next one. I'm going to watch Dawn again. <laughs> I am too because I want to make sure that I'm fresh for the next time because there
1: are some little things that I forgot because I watched so far away. And I'm, my notes are just trying to hit the key main points that we have, and I forget the little things that mean so much too.
3: Oh, look for Jim Carrey the next time you, you watch it. I'm telling <laughs> I'll you. I'll definitely that. get a
1: pause it on Jim Pay, Carrey. He
3: makes, he makes a Jim Carrey face. Like, this. that is Jim Carrey's dad. I refuse to believe that that is not Jim Carrey's dad. <laughs> telling you man and woolly man fucking woolly fuck woolly man fuck that guy yeah he's <laughs> he's garbage he's garbage now he's a zombie yeah they didn't shoot aim. him in the head he shot him in the chest <laughs> somebody needs to go aim. like i feel like dang why would you not shoot woolly in the head like fuck woolly man oh well, i guess i don't know
1: because there he's was be- still somebody on his back, so he didn't want to risk shooting someone else at the same time.
3: He's just going to be a crazy ass zombie, though, Wooly. He? Like, he's going to be the crazy, like, a racist mm-hmm. zombie. Oh, Can man. you imagine that? Oh, no. Now, now we're going
1: to get a side movie of Wooly as a zombie. <laughs> oh, Jesus.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's going to be, right. like, directed by Bobcat Goldthwaite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man anyway all right man yeah I, I, i'm sorry jeff i know i'm gonna probably alienate lots of your listeners oh with mine. please
1: if i haven't alienated enough people already with the way i talk on this show
3: <laughs> all righty well hey i'm being i'm being summoned my friend but yeah well let's let's get an offline conversation going for the next one my friend
1: yeah definitely we'll put a pin in this here and yeah i want to thank you for this part of the conversation and we'll be back for more for you guys with probably one to two more episodes i'm not sure we'll see how it plays out yeah we'll see what yep. we do all right thanks buddy well yeah not a problem jeff you want to take us out i'll take us out all right ladies and gentlemen so that was part one of our 1978 dawn of the dead breakdown we'll be releasing parts two and three shortly hereafter, throughout the month of february as i said in honor of george romero's birthday we hope you guys had as much fun re- listening to it as we did recording it. And I want to thank my friend Patrick French for coming on and doing part one, two, and three with me because it's a lot to discuss, but he was up for it because he's as big a fan of the movie as I am. Now, as always, you can find us on social media. Check us out on Facebook. Just search for Skewered Universe Podcast. You can go to Twitter at SkeweredU, Instagram, Skewered underscore Universe, and... You can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, Listen Notes, Amazon and Audible, TuneIn.com, and Player FM. All that will be in the notes as well. You can leave feedback for the show at, Skewered Universe Podcast at Gmail.com. And don't forget, if you want to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash skewereduniversepodcast. You can join at the two tiers we have, one is $3, one is 7 At the $3, you get exclusive access to our Skewered Universe transmissions episodes. At the $7 tier, you will get not only the transmissions episodes, but exclusive audio commentaries that we record here, as well as the ability to recommend movies for the show. Head on over to patreon.com slash podcast. Help support the show if you like it. And with that... Keep enjoying that universe that's just a bit, you know, skewered.